Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hello and welcome to the Autosport Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Kalanorkas. Welcome to another special edition of the show, where this time we're looking back on the 2020 Formula One season. It was a year like no other, as I'm sure you're well aware, with the coronavirus pandemic delaying the new F1 season just as it was set to begin in Australia. After a delay of four months, during which decisions were taken to secure the future of the championship during a period that threatened its very existence, racing finally got underway with a pair of races at the Red Bull Ring. 17 races took place in total, a remarkably high total all things considered, with F1 passing both the targets needed to call a world championship and fulfil the lucrative contractual requirements for the TV broadcasters, and ultimately hitting the 15-18 to 18 race range it had targeted when the season needed to be completely redrawn back in the late spring. There were new race venues and names, with some old ones returning to the calendar too. There were action-packed race thrillers and several duds, which sadly means we do have to talk about the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix again today, and several moments that would go down in F1 history. Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes triumphed once again, but it was still a season like no other considering all that came before it. Plus F1 got two new winners and potentially a glimpse at what things might look like when the championship's current number one eventually calls it a day. So joining me to discuss all of that and more, and they're going to have the opportunity to tell me exactly why my top 10 drivers of the year selection for an Autosport magazine feature that's also available on autosport.com plus uh, is potentially wrong or correct. I don't know. Maybe they'll be supportive of four special guests. Uh, first up is my Autosport F1 reporting team other half, Luke Smith. How are you, Luke? How are you feeling uh, A, about that intro and B, uh, about the end of your first season with Autosport? Does that make you my work wife? Is that is that what the official title is? I, I don't know, but I'm 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 fine with that. Okay, 
Okay, anyway, um, hello. I'm horrified. Yeah, I was slightly perturbed. Um, anyway, in light news, I'm wearing a Christmas jumper because it's Christmas and we're going to forget that it's tier four hell and let's get in the spirit. Uh, but yeah, no, I've, I've loved my first year with Autosport so, so, so much. Uh, it's been brilliant and it's just been a really, a really weird year. I think when I, I was looking back through some photos the other day, because I took a holiday to New Zealand just before the Australian Grand Prix and flew over to Australia, like really excited. I was like so geared up for this season. And I, it just blows my mind that that was like nine months ago, that nine months ago you could have like a road trip around a country on the other side of the world and then go to another country and it just all be very free and very normal. And it's, uh, yeah, it's been a very, very weird year, but uh, no, I've loved every second of it with Autosport. It's been brilliant and I'm so excited for what we can do when things are hopefully a little bit more normal. But uh, yeah, certainly lots to look back on, I think, from a really great year of racing in this podcast. Good. So very glad to hear that, Luke. And uh, yeah, you, you posting that picture of your uh, boarding pass for that Air New Zealand flight did uh, did remind me of uh, when you arrived at the accommodation that we booked to, sh- to share in Melbourne for the Australian Grand Prix. I was, I'd arrived uh, a day or two earlier and uh, you, you, you got in that morning and I texted you completely the wrong number of apartment to turn up to. Uh, and then you, it was one of those irritating um buildings where you had to have a key fob to make the lift work so i sent you to the wrong floor and then essentially you were trapped there because the Correct. lift wouldn't work so you had to climb the stairs with your staircase 20 flights <clears> of <throat> stairs just saying not that I with your suitcase <laughs> it was indeed uh, i had also uh, completely confused the lady whose apartment i'd accidentally sent you to but anyway we you got in in the end and, and it was all fine until the australian grand prix was cancelled um but next up uh, is another member of the team ending their first season in new colors it's motorsport network's director of digital strategy jess mcfadden how are you jess and first of all can i also say an immediate thank you and apology for interrupting your holiday to get you to record this uh, this podcast with us yeah, you you pulled me out early from uh, from uh, trying to get a few days off before Christmas. But with that in mind, I've had to kind of remember everything that happened this year. <laughs> I almost took a bit of a motorsport hiatus. I I've almost closed down all of my social media accounts and and had a bit of a had a bit of time off away from Formula One. But uh, even though I've been off, things haven't stopped. We've still had news stories and all sorts. So uh, no, it's been it's been a an interesting first year, kind of. Uh, echoing Luke's points, it's a, it's a strange time to start a, start a new role in the sport. But um, what a year it's been! I think it, not just the the team uh, team efforts, but the fans have been brilliant as well. Um, and you know, the whole coming together of everybody has just been it's been a story. I think that I hope is what we all reflect on and uh, kind of take into twenty twenty one. Because as much as it was a weird time, it was also quite a wonderful time. Uh, in terms of the sport bringing people together at difficult a difficult time so yeah that's they're my kind of key takeaways without giving too much away of the rest of this podcast but yeah no I'm glad I'm glad I've been missing Formula One good good well uh, yeah no we, we certainly echo those views as well and as you say we'll, we'll dig down into them later on in the episode and uh, now I'm going to introduce uh, two more voices you may have heard them uh, jumping in uh, potentially a little bit earlier than, than I was going to introduction give them their special introductions uh, so first of all we've got motorsport.com's F1 editor Jonathan Noble uh, who I must thank for getting this still relatively new and shiny uh, F1 uh, reporting team ready to go ahead of the new season when me and Luke uh, were given the keys to the autosport reporting team uh, but John have you recovered from the glass of breaking F1 news in the last few weeks because it's not exactly been a quiet end to the season and are we expecting any more to break during this podcast? Uh, no recovery yet because it doesn't seem to stop. You um, had this really bizarre run. I think it kind of triggered from the moment Grosjean crashed on the first lap in Bahrain. Literally every day has been totally manic. 
Uh, we've had driver announcements, driver controversies, driver replacements, drivers that are getting ill, drivers getting back again, um, investigations, social media um, errors. Um, then we've had Ferrari lunches. We've had drivers sacked, drivers replaced, drivers moving, um, driver investigations, drivers definitely staying for 2021. Um, just hasn't... Oh, and uh, Ineos buying into Mercedes and Toto staying just every day just hasn't hasn't stopped. So hopefully by tomorrow, some point could start to wind down a little bit. But yeah, nonstop. But it has been a been a remarkable season. And I think what was also quite remarkable is I think you, myself and Luke haven't actually worked at the same track apart from one day, which was the Thursday of the Australian Grand Prix, which I find absolutely incredible. Yeah. Uh, technically testing, I suppose that would count, but I, I take your point in the in the terms of the season and, and also how long yeah. ago it was we were all in Melbourne <laughs> together. But yeah, well, I mean, no doubt, John, um, as soon as you do start to switch off, uh, Mercedes will announce Lewis Hamilton's contract extension because that... <laughs> maybe, that they're was, wa- maybe they're waiting. <laughs> yes, that was, they, they, it was constantly uh, uh, expected imminently and then and then never arrived. Now, the latest uh, Total Wolf saying was it could be announced just prior to testing in 2021. But anyway, that's something we'll probably come on to later on because finally, I must introduce him last, but certainly not least. And I do always leave introducing you to last. Uh, Stuart Colleen, executive editor of GP Racing Magazine, because that's a monthly publication. So you're you're pretty much used to waiting around, doing not very much, and then getting quite busy as the deadline approaches. Are you not? This is shocking. I think that's we... think that's uh, actually incorrect, Alex. Quite busy isn't oh, yeah, probably. Busy. Uh... <laughs> uh, I think you'll find that uh, we have a managing editor who who basically knows if I rise from my seat to make a cup of tea. Even, even while I've... working remotely? Yes. That's Literally, my, my bottom will rise at maximum an inch from the, the pad of the chair and I'll get an email saying, oh, you've brought your copy yet. So um, I am a slave to the workflow. So while it may seem that um, a monthly magazine is you know like a cruise ship that just sort of potters along in its own sweet time and eventually it gets there and the, the the crew get to sit and put their feet up one actually has been quite busy although uh, the the managing editor in question did say to me on teams uh, about three hours ago saying oh, that's it apart from your podcast so um yeah this is it for me for this year Lovely stuff. Well, well, we hope uh, we hope he's satisfied with uh, with all your efforts, and I must say, it has been uh, very uh, very pleasing reading GP racing throughout the year. I got through the whole of the uh, the issue where our, our chat with uh, the Mercedes designers was on the front cover on the flight to Bahrain, but it's cover to cover. I uh, don't normally get the chance to do that, really, when you when you think about yeah. how busy we are just just making the other publications. And it, it is a pleasure collaborating with you, and, and thank you to uh, you and Luke for stepping up and um, very much forming part of the team, producing features for us and, uh, you know, keeping us going as, as, you know, I feel I've done my bit as part of the wider team to ensure the the digital side goes and the autosport side goes as well, you know, in amongst being hugely busy on my monthly magazine, of course. But, um, uh, you know, it, it, it is great. And, and I'm glad that, um, you know, everything's functioned, even though we're all in disparate places uh, and, and indeed we're all still in work so thanks also i suppose go to the listeners and the subscribers to our various titles 
Absolutely, absolutely. Although, although I must say, all this uh, all this good natured uh, start to the episode does have me slightly worried because I asked everybody to uh, to come with questions ready about my F one top ten, which we're going to get to at the end. Mm. So no doubt that's where all the unpleasantness will lie. Um, but yeah, let, let's start on on a good note and just just think about, like I said in the introduction, seventeen races uh, were, were were got in. I mean, there was a time back in the spring where it was. It was genuinely a real reality that there wouldn't be a Formula One season in 2020. Um, John, what 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 are you what do you think looking back on that time when it was you know I mean first of all as we were even in Melbourne there were races being postponed it was like they were falling like dominoes eventually cancelled Monaco cancelled outright a lot of them just said well we're going to postpone and then eventually they never reappeared on the calendar and then eventually things were put into gear. I spoke to a couple of the guys in the FIA in Abu Dhabi, Michael Massey and Bruno uh, Faman about, you know, just how the process started. And basically the FIA were working on protocols to get F1 racing again all through April. That's when they started um, May and June. And eventually obviously it comes together at the Red Bull ring. But yeah, what was the, what was the sense coming out of the, out of your contacts about just how difficult getting a season in would be? Yeah, I think once we left Australia, um, Obviously, F1 have been kind of caught out a bit in Australia. The situation deteriorated so quickly. Um, you know, a lot of people sceptical about if we should have gone or shouldn't have gone, um, which is an entirely separate debate. But, you know, F1 didn't deal with Australia particularly well and left itself looking a bit um, a, a bit foolish, having called off the, the first round on the before a car had even hit the track. Um, and I think after that, as we kind of the, the world went into lockdown, it looked very, very doubtful we would get any races. Um, you know, you just couldn't see a situation where things would improve enough to allow Formula 1 to return. So all credit to F1 and FIA. I think they learned a lot from what went wrong in Australia to apply it to work out what they needed to do right next time. Um, and I think there are two factors at play here that, that were key to the season. One was those protocols were brilliant. Um, there wasn't a massive outbreak. We had a f- few trouble, you know, a few drivers were caught out, a few team people, um, some catering personnel, various you know occasional staff from teams which needed some reshuffling. But it wasn't anything that ever threatened any of these races taking place. So hats off, a blueprint for international sport and a blueprint that means we can look forward to Formula 1 next year. I think whatever happens, whether it'll be as open it was in the past or whether it'll be as restricted as it was this season, we don't know yet. But also equally, I think there was an element of good fortune as well in terms of their timing. So I don't think we could have had any races earlier than July. If we tried to run it earlier, I don't think it would have happened. If we'd run it any later, I think they would have been cancelled because it was the kind of the second wave or if we now count um, this is now the third wave or whatever's coming out from this, the UK variant, um, I think it would have been very difficult to get races after that. So I think an element of good timing as well to get those 17 races in. But, um, you know, full credit to everyone for pulling it off. Absolutely. I think there's also a, a key thing. I remember writing about this right back at the beginning of the season, just when the, the Austrian Grand Prix was kicking off, was actually what a key part Red Bull played in the season as an organisation, because owning the Red Bull ring track and, the you know, the, it's such a massive company and in Austria and how much real power, you know, you've got to say that Red Bull has in terms of dealing with the authorities and the government. I think the FIA were quite keen to point that out as well, that, you know, they they went along to the Red Bull ring with the protocols. They they knew them all in theory, but they were sort of only, I'd say, they sort of said they were 90% happy with them because it was impossible. You couldn't have a test event because 
of the nature of the beast with the pandemic. So they went along, they refined a, a few little things. And then after that, they insist they only changed it once, which was bringing in the mandatory uh, test after 24, uh, <clears throat> 24 hours of arrival uh, from the Portuguese Grand Prix, which did follow the sort of racing point, Lance Stroll, missing the Eiffel Grand Prix it was then revealed that he had COVID but he sort of had followed the procedures and, and things like that they say there there is no there's no link between the two it's just the fact that the cases were on the rise in Europe and there had been more positive tests as you say John for those 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 uh, incidents in, in the races around and leading up to the Portuguese Grand Prix um just thinking back to that Austrian Grand Prix what could you could you could we have predicted what ended up following or was it just a case of let's just enjoy what we've got because we don't know how long it's going to last I think there was a there was a lot of that. As you said, we'd gone for a rec- almost record length off season in inverted commas, waiting for this to happen. So I guess expectations were somewhat high, but we also didn't really know what to what to expect. And again, without jumping the gun too far in the podcast, the Austrian Grand Prix actually ended up being one of my favourite Grand Prix of the season. And I think because of that level of of anticipation, but also the unpredictability that we saw um you know it was a, it was a race with a, with high attrition we saw people i guess we, we we saw what happens when it's not a plug and play series you know but we're very used teams are very used to rocking up at melbourne at the beginning of the season and will have had lots of uh lots of time to plan and and run their their data and everything and and we we rocked up at austria not really knowing even though it's a track that we've raced at obviously multiple times it was no one really knew how the new protocols were going to affect the way that teams ran, you know, the 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 I obviously wasn't lucky enough, uh, and neither were most of us to to be able to be in the paddock this this season. But even the atmosphere in the paddock seemed strange and 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 not like it, it usually is. So we I don't we just didn't know how that was going to affect everybody. And and to to have the race that we had in Austria, I remember the feeling absolutely buzzing afterwards because it, it it really arrived and for me it was well like I I'm actually not a huge fan of Melbourne being the opening round of the season um because it usually is a bit of an anticlimax it's 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 not a race that's really going to give you amazing racing at least not in this the current state of formula 1 um whoever's leading out of turn 1 usually wins the race um, so to have a race that we saw in Austria was actually, for me, I think really fitting for the 2020 season being as unpredictable as it had been up until that first race. So I was I was very, very happy with, with what we had in Austria. Well, it's, it's interesting what you say there, Jess, about Melbourne. Actually, Codders, I want to bring you in here because we, we spoke to, um, to John Owen, the chief designer at Mercedes, and he revealed, I actually thought ever so slightly revealed a little bit too much about how much trouble Mercedes was in with its engine on the W11, that the lockdown, that you know, the extended time once the factory shutdowns and the, the uh, you know, the power train division shutdowns had, had passed, how much trouble it might have been in. So uh, yeah, Jess, definitely right. There have been some, there have been some dull Melbourne races in the past, but Codders, do you think Mercedes is it is it was is it realistic that both cars potentially might have retired from that season opener in Melbourne had it gone ahead? Yeah, it's it's looking like the uh, the lockdown got them out of jail, and and I and I think if if anyone privy to this podcast has a pen, Jess, Luke, minute the idea of um, Melbourne being a woeful place to start a season for the new series of the Is It Just Me podcast. <laughs> Great shout! Thank you. That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. 
this is the most useful thing I've done all week. Um, but yes, they, they, there was a, a problem with the engine. And John said to us, and, and like you say, Alex, he's always very frank. And very often I can hear various parts of the anatomy of the PR person clenching when uh, people like John speak in a slightly unvarnished way like that. And um, yeah, they they were literally days away from having a fix. But the, the likelihood is that the, the cars would have gone pop uh in melbourne and maybe not just the works mercedes the the other mercedes engine cars might have done as well as they'd experienced problems with the lubrication system in testing and it was it was just that little bit of space that extra week or two they had that enabled them to to get that fix and that really speaks to how hard mercedes were pushing in the off season because they committed to a lot of innovation in that car both in the car itself in the engine particularly at the rear around the rear suspension where it mounts the gearbox um to to boost the aerodynamic performance and the engine performance and they had to commit early at the time when ferrari were resurgent they couldn't wait for the fia to peg ferrari back even though a lot of people were opining that there was something up with the engine and as it happened, when Ferrari were pegged back, they were still in the soup on various elements of the car. And uh, people like John Owen were having to say, well, you know, we've committed to this now. We've we've moved bits around within the car to accommodate all these innovations. So we, we have to make these things work. Otherwise, we're, we're not going to have a car ready. Indeed, indeed. Well, Luke, com- coming to you, I just wanted to, to talk about um, actually a little bit of the extended pre-season before we, we skip ahead into into the rest of the campaign. Because, of course, this was, as, as Jess said, you know, an extremely long pre-season with the, with the Melbourne race being cancelled. And everybody, it seemed, picked up uh, picked up esports and got involved in uh, in online racing. There were some uh, particularly uh, high profile, uh, you know, things involving Charles Leclerc and George Russell, Alex Albon. I mean, Lando Norris as well, of course, really, really sort of managed to uh, enhance his his star, as it were, without any racing taking place. Um, so, yeah, just what, what were your thoughts on that? And, and, and it, I don't know, it, it just seems so long ago, but also like it was five minutes ago as well. Not just the Formula One drivers, also the Formula One journalists as well. John and I partook in some rather feisty Gran Turismo. I got a, a very good win at the Red Bull Ring in the wet, I believe, which I was very proud of. Oh, yeah, I remember that. It was good. Um, and, and John is like high, high quality. Where were you ranked in the UK last year, John? Uh, the Winter Championship, uh, 11th or 12th in the UK, Jesus. like 110 in Europe. There you go. And you say, I'm not busy. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but everyone kind of just threw themselves into esports and it was it was really interesting. It's something that Lando Norris has always been a fan of and it's kind of, that's that's his thing. That's what he likes doing when he goes away from uh, from the racetracks. He, he likes to just do his gaming and his streaming. So this kind of gave him free reign to do that because you're, you're stuck indoors with not much else to do. So you might as well just hop online and play games with your friends and sort of um, put on some entertainment for the fans. And it, it was really great. And yeah, we saw sort of the, the Twitch quartet, I believe they're called, form with, with Norris, Leclerc, Russell and Albon all together. And it's burned some, some wonderful memes, some really great sort of compilation videos and everything like that. And it it was it was really really good fun and a lot of it was also for an excellent cause as well they did their um, sort of charitable work as part of it uh, we had Lando Norris shave his head as well to raise money for charity which was another off-season highlight for sure uh, we had uh, motorsport games put on the 
virtual 24 hours of Le Mans as well, which was a huge success. And really, really just, it was great to see how everyone got on board with esports. And when we get, got into the season, obviously everything, everything kind of quietened down a bit. But I asked all of those drivers after, um, towards the end of the season, said, look, are you going to do this again? Or is it just a lockdown thing? And they were like, no, no, we want to go gaming again. And Leclerc was saying he wants to get Sebastian Vettel involved if he can as well. Uh, Lando said he's taken up some golf as well now. He said he's sort of taking it quite seriously, but definitely won't let his streaming uh, fall by the wayside. So yeah, it's I, I just thought it was a really great thing. It put a smile on everyone's face. It was just really, really good fun. And it really brought out a different side to all of those drivers as well, who so often are sort of stuck behind a, a PR wall and can't say certain things and have to be sort of very, I guess, sort of watered down versions of, of themselves. But with that, they could just be very authentic. They were just four young lads just enjoying it. So it was really, really good to see. Yeah, I saw uh, via his Instagram story, Charles Leclerc has unveiled an, uh, an, an enormous and garishly coloured uh, uh, gaming rig setup. Uh, presumably, his, his house in Monaco. But so, yeah, he's obviously uh, keen to get stuck in again. Um, but yeah, the season obviously did move on from the Red Bull Rings. Who races there? The Styrian Grand Prix, not quite as exciting as the Austrian Grand Prix. There was a very good race behind Lewis Hamilton's dominant display in Hungary, uh, and then two two races at Silverstone. One of which was absolutely terrible and extremely boring, right up until the last lap when Lewis Hamilton somehow still won the race on three wheels and it was all incredibly exciting and I had to redo my intro at uh, for the autosport.com race report at, uh, at top speed I, mean, I was literally ready to press send it was like Abu Dhabi that one since the flag dropped oh, apart from Ocon passing Stroll at the last on the last lap that did have to get changed before I filed um so yes, the British Grand Prix, not very entertaining until the last minute. And then the 70th anniversary Grand Prix was very entertaining because Max Verstappen in, inflicted the first Mercedes defeat of the season uh, by beating Hamilton and Bottas there. Spain, an, a, a, you know, a very uninteresting race. I think all but the top three were lapped. Uh, but Lewis Hamilton produced uh, an outstanding display and Bottas produced another sort of poor start. And that was really sort of the, the, a theme of the season that came in was, uh, was Bottas. Very unlucky with... Uh, misfortune but also not helping himself at key moments as well uh, then we went to Belgium and the two Italian races Monza and Mugello and after that as we sort of alluded to earlier that's when the second wave of coronavirus really began began to bite it, everything became very uncertain as uh, as the film went off to Russia where it looked like business as usual you know with the fans in the stands but I think there was still great degrees of, of uncertainty and unease about various things uh, and then e even coming back going uh, going to the Nürburgring I mean it did feel quite like a return to normal because there was uh, a day of complete washout weather delays Luke and I were reporting on ambulance uh, you know routes to get people out and, and various things and that, that all felt very very normal very very Formula One like Nico Hülkenberg made his third appearance of the season there, standing in place for Lance Stroll, having stood in for Sergio Perez at the two Silverstone races. Uh, then Formula One went to went to Portimao, returning Portuguese Grand Prix, but a new venue. Uh, we're going to come on to that in a little while, but we've got uh, six, if you count the three returning tracks and one new layout in Bahrain, six sort of unusual new venues for F1 in 2020. Uh, and then Imola being another one. Where uh, where Valtteri Bottas looked like I thought he was gonna was he was gonna dominate it very 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 quick from pole position and then he picks up a bit of Ferrari and Kevin Turner tells me that his favourite bit of copy in Autosports top fifty drivers was when I said that a a, a piece of Ferrari was clinging to the front of a Formula One race for the first time that <laughs> this year and was refusing to let go. Uh, after that the Turkish Grand Prix returned and that is where Lewis Hamilton wrapped up the title with an unbelievable drive in wet conditions and then there were three races in the Middle East which looked like being three dead rubbers before. Or, um, very unfortunately Lewis Hamilton's positive COVID-19 test came back uh, positive obviously and um, and uh, George Russell stepped up up to Mercedes and really put a, a, a fascinating narrative on the Sakir Grand Prix 
in that Bahrain Grand Prix, Roman Grosjean escaped a fireball. Uh, and then we did have the uh, the very dull finish to the season with Max Verstappen winning uh, in Abu Dhabi. But not forgetting that we did have two new winners in F1 2020. That was Pierre Gasly winning the chaotic and extremely entertaining Italian Grand Prix for AlphaTauri. And Sergio Perez producing a remarkable drive to win, having been punted off by Charles Leclerc at the start of the Sakir Grand Prix, winning what we sort of put on the autosport.com uh, plus headline. It was it was George Russell's race because he had done so well in the Mercedes, but Perez put in an absolutely outstanding drive to take his first victory uh, and an emotional one as well, considering by that time he knew he would be leaving the team that he had helped save. But yeah, guys, um, Jess, what are you what are you hoping for in F1 2021? What can follow all the all the unpredictability? but also a healthy degree of predictability in terms of Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton winning. What, what, what are you expecting for next year? Um, I wish I could be more positive. <laughs> and it's not that I want to be <laughs> pessimistic, but I do... Well, I mean, I was just going to say, not to make light of a terrible situation, but no one wants to be positive right now. Better no, tell. I know. Well, like, yeah. Dark. <laughs> Wowza, we went Wouldn't there. <laughs> I don't even know where to go after that now, Alex. I'm like, well, sorry, sorry. It's it's usually me you that ha- disrupts you, things with terrible jokes. You have to laugh, otherwise. I'm, I'm, know, I'm just, so used to Alex awful. being like totally in control and and guiding really? the conversation, and it's usually other people that are trying <laughs> you, to throw you off, Alex. And now I feel like you've got your own back on on poor little old me in the corner here. I'm like, what do I do now? <laughs> no, right. Optimism versus pessimism. Um, I am a maybe to my detriment i'm a i'm i always try to be the optimist in every situation um but i think you know i i really really enjoyed this season i know that there was a lot of luke and i on our last not to do another podcast plug but on our latest is it just me podcast we spoke about whether the 2020 season was the best season for formula one since 2012 which um as you could probably imagine was highly debated amongst our listeners and amongst people on Twitter. Um, because I think, you know, we, we did a bit of a comparison uh, and obviously, you know, stats are brilliant because we get to skew them in our favour depending on what argument we want to make. But we did a bit of a comparison, didn't we, Luke, about how many podium finishes we'd had, uh, 2020 versus 2012, both 13. How many race winners we had, uh, I think it was it was eight in 2012 and five this year. Uh, and how many new races winners we had, which was in both seasons, two new race winners. So, you know, certain stats paralleled quite nicely and I think were uh, uh, indicative of, of the kind of seasons we maybe had. But the elephant in the room obviously was the title fight in that we didn't have one <laughs> this year at all. Um, but it did, it's, for me at least, as a as a fan watching, I almost didn't, mind and I don't know if that's just because I was resigned to the fact that it was going to happen I was resigned to the fact that it was going to be a runaway and if you listen to our podcast you'll probably know that I I didn't think Lewis Hamilton had a title contender really to 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 go up against him um that it was going to fall their way and therefore I was just going to enjoy the rest of it which I, I was not left disappointed I thought it was a cracking season for Formula One Fast forward to 2021 and it does look like it's going to try and get back to as close to as it should have been for this year. So same tracks that we're seeing, same, same, uh, even the same order of tracks that we're the kind of used to. I mean, a few, still a few newcomers. We didn't get to see uh, Zandvoort. We're not going to get to see what Vietnam potentially could have added 
to to the calendar obviously we've got a big question mark there and and a potential uh, a re of a track that we saw this year but we don't know that remains to be seen unless they're going to drop it on us whilst we're recording this podcast but I mean that'd be classic Formula One but I don't think we're in we're in danger of that just now but um for me the the unpredictability came from teams not being able to anticipate what we what they were going to come up against and 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 for me it was down to having that that the more reliance on on human the human side of formula one rather than the data and the plug and play scenarios that i think hasn't helped formula one in the past um it's one of my biggest bugbears you know i'm i'm a big fan again if you watch uh, on motorsport.com's Instagram live Johnny and I do uh, a live stream after every session um uh, from from the on race weekends and and we we we've both spoke about how we don't well I definitely don't like Friday practice I think we should do away with it which again is a bit of a a theme running is that I quite like controversial <laughs> opinions but I, I think that's what I would and I know that that is uh potentially on the cards uh, to have a reduced race weekend format but that for me was was one of the reasons was that the teams just didn't know what what not that they didn't know what they're doing they're obviously very highly skilled uh group of individuals but they just didn't have that plug and play scenario that we just saw play out 2019 2018 and and that gave us a bit of variety and and a bit more of a chance of having those 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 unpredictable results so I'm not sure that that at least for next season we're going to get much of a difference from 2019 unless we still find ourselves in the position that we found ourselves this year which as we all find ourselves going into further further lockdown and and kind of all that hope that was that was sent our way uh, about this maybe coming to an end or these scenarios coming to an end I think the inevitability is that and we've had in the case of Formula E you know we're a few weeks out and the Santiago E Prix is being postponed. We don't know when that's going to happen. So, you know, there's still going to be massive ripple effects on the series. So we don't know what's going to happen. But based on what we've been given, the blueprints, should we say, for next season, I'm not sure what what much is going to change from previous seasons before. Yeah, the the situation's pretty fluid, isn't it? And the, the Santiago development just shows that you know we're not out of the woods yet and I, I, I do feel that if I may paraphrase Paula Abdul's 1990 hit Opposites Attract we've, we've, we've taken uh, no, two no, steps forward and three Why steps not? back <laughs> but um, yeah, we, yeah we've, we've had the, the promise of, of the vaccine being rolled out and uh, you know the, that great story of human endeavour uh, developing a vaccine in record time given a lot of resource put behind it uh, and then only to have the you know what we might call the kent variant uh come out and this this new strain of covid which is that much more um virulent certainly more infectious so it's it's going to make things it's going to make it harder logistically for people to leave the uk which is where formula e is based where a lot of formula one teams are based and there's already talk that the australian grand prix is in trouble the um the, the the tennis they have there has been put back to february and if they put that back any further it's going to make it logistically quite hard uh for 
for Formula One to to happen uh, within weeks of that in the same city. And also this talk that, you know, the developing coronavirus situation, they might not want a load of travellers, certainly from the UK, Europe, to be coming over there and, and, and bringing their, their new COVID with them. So there's already talk that behind the scenes, there's a contingency plan of having testing in Bahrain, followed by a Bahrain doubleheader, perhaps, of... Uh, the, the the normal circuit followed by the outer loop again, which would be a Johnny shame. Would be happy about that? <laughs> <laughs> I would be delighted with that. <laughs> what's what, what what's not to like about spending the best part of a month in Bahrain? Yeah, I did that. It was it was fine. It was good. Just got a lot of work done. I don't still don't understand why the racing had to be so late. That was really annoying. Worked till eight thirty in the morning <laughs> after both after both races getting on the magazine deadlines in. Uh, Jess, I liked your point about, you know, things uh, ending up unpredictable because of the various differences in 2020, because it was amazing to think a team like Mercedes was so flummoxed by that track surface in Turkey, even before it rained. Uh, With all their resources, with all their knowledge, with all their amazingly fast car, a bit of new tarmac, and they were just like, well, what's going on? I mean, you you can't obviously resurface every every track, uh, despite your Silverstone had to do that a few times because of the, the various uh, drainage problems there. Um, but uh, yeah, um, it's uh, yeah definitely in- interesting to consider and to think about. Um, Luke, is there any update in terms of what sort of potentially? I mean, as 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 Jess and Codders have said, you know, there, there's no predicting what's going to happen next in terms of particularly the travel restrictions. When I spoke to the FIA guys in in Abu Dhabi, that's the big thing they're coming back to. That's the that'll be the key thing because they're they've proved their protocols work. Um, but yeah, is there any sort of suggestions about what might change? you know whether that's opening up the access to to more people potentially getting fans back or anything like that i think it's still it's still too early to say really i think that we are i think we're entering a new phase of this with with the new variant as you say and i think that i think we saw with the cancellation of the santiago formula e race just how how precarious it is really and how, how difficult it would be to run any kind of motor racing or international event right now so i think really we just got to get to sort of the early early part of next year sort of march time and then then see where things are um my understanding is that there will be uh increased access for journalists we'll be able to get back back in the paddock without dressing up as any charity teddy bear which will please many of our colleagues immensely and will be <laughs> generally quite good i mean alex i think you you found in um, Abu Dhabi when they opened up a little bit of access at the very uh, end of the end of the season that it basically transformed things in terms of us being able to do our job and like put forward these questions and instead of being restricted to to zoom calls or raising a hand and hoping that someone might pick you or whatever and it's it's very yeah it, it would just it would help us a lot and obviously help in terms of the coverage that we then produce and overall it's just I think just better for everyone and it's something that Toto Wolf, Charles Leclerc, many others have all said that like we want you guys back in the paddock we need you doing doing your job so so yeah so that is a positive development I think otherwise it's it's really just a case of seeing where things move and ultimately I think that F1 has proven that it can do a 17 race season, squeezing all the races into what a five month period. It was 17 races in 24 weeks, I believe. So it's quite, it's proven it can do that. That doesn't mean it should do that because I think everyone after this year is like, okay, we need to take a break and because it was a, a very intense schedule. But I think that it will, it will give F1 confidence that ultimately once it wants a more normal year, but even if it does end up losing maybe some of the early, earlier rounds, if it does end up losing Australia, for example, it's got the protocols in place to be able to, to Two stage events under difficult conditions. We saw that. Um, we saw that throughout this season. We saw that in in Austria at the start of July. I think that F one. It was 
I believe the first international sport to get back racing and get back operating. So that was a huge statement in terms of the all the protocols and everything in place. And even at the final race in Abu Dhabi, I, I know they had to go to quite extreme lengths in terms of uh, shutting down the uh, Yas Island and having everyone sort of like locked down on the island and having a only a one route from the airport so you didn't go anywhere else. But it worked. F1 managed to get a race happening. It managed to get a season completed. So. So yeah, so I would, as as much as we are sort of all, I guess, quite nervous and cautious about what the global situation is going to look like in another five, six months' time, I think that the fact that F1 managed to pull off this season, I think that gives me personally great confidence in terms of what it can do next year. And hopefully we'll be able to do this podcast in another year's time and talk about a, a 23 race calendar that delivered an even more spectacular season. Absolutely, absolutely. Echo that thoughts. And obviously, we do hope that everything in society, frankly, goes back to normal or gets easier as, as quickly as it can. Um, guys, let's move on to the next uh, next part of the podcast where I want to, I've given you I've given you a little bit of homework. I think I gave you a good good hour or two's notice to come up with some ideas for this, um, which is which is funny because normally I don't give you any. Um, and we're going to come and talk about the uh, the new tracks in inverted commas that are on the calendar. What I mean by new is the ones that weren't supposed to be there, basically, like I said earlier, six in total, including the three that came back and one new variant, obviously, of Bahrain with the outer loop. So, John, why don't we start with you? What's your pick of the favourite of those uh, of those new slash unusual tracks on the 2020 calendar? For all the old school fever of kind of like Imola and Turkey uh, and Nürburgring, I'm actually going to pick the Bahrain outer loop just because it was something totally different. Uh, a track like that we had never really seen in Formula 1 before. Um, definitely would never have happened in normal circumstances. Um, sure, it wasn't you know it wasn't one of these epic driver circuits like we have with, with Suzuka that you know, are amazing to watch Formula 1 cars going, but I think it produced good racing. It was a different challenge. Uh, it was something unique having 50-odd second laps. Um and I thought the spectacle was fantastic. Uh, and I would happily have a lot more races on that track in the future. Indeed. Codis, what was your pick? Uh, for for me, it, it was fascinating. I'd love to go there one day. Um, Algarve, it, it, was, it was amazing to watch um, Formula One cars going around a, a new circuit and, and one that I've, not, I've never visited before. The other ones I have actually attended, but... Um, the that that the the Argyle circuit circuit completely new to me, so I, I was fascinated, and uh, hopefully it will appear on uh, on the calendar again. That's still sort of um, a, a question mark, and um, maybe we'll be able to go. Maybe there'll be a bit, little bit more grip as the surface matures, and it'd be interesting to see what happens. So uh, yeah, that, that that got my vote. I will give. Algarve another vote, although I will use the updated Autosport style guard name and call it Portimao. I'm afraid, Codders. And it's um, I. Uh, it's just that's that the no, 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 no. Did it? It did. Yeah, it, did. But that... it did for for very specific SEO reasons. In the, uh, it was a very pragmatic decision. <laughs> if everybody's calling it that, we might as well. That is I mean, the. I don't really know what to think about that. So be- the internet. Oh, the internet tail wagging the dog. <laughs> I'm sorry, Cutters. <laughs> I I am stuck. That's 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 ruined Christmas. That has. Do you want to pick another track? That's ruined Christmas. <laughs> wow. hey, you do take that all back now, Cutters. Cutters, you do you, you do know since we've been recording this that you have gone into tier four from Boxing Day. Oh, great. <laughs> well, I you know, know that. It, it, 
just piling on the bad news here. That, 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 that's ruined Christmas. That, that's going to stop all the people from two miles up the road using our gym because there's a shot, isn't it? Because oh well. Well, it just means I'll get to level twenty-three on Zwift that much quicker, eh? <laughs> wow, indeed, indeed, Luke. You you were gonna were you gonna agree with Codders or, or disagree with Codders about? Uh, I, I was gonna agree on. Off? I was going to agree with Codders on Portimao uh, because uh, yeah, was, we're just not going to agree on what we're calling it. <laughs> it was no, it was great. I, I loved it. I thought it was uh, it was a really it was a really really cool circuit. I think it's one of these tracks that we'd always said oh, it'd be cool if F1 properly went there one day. So to finally see that was brilliant. I thought it delivered a, an incredible race. The low grip just made everything mental for those first couple of laps. It was really hard to sort of judge who was going where and just how those positions had been made up. Kimi Raikkonen, probably the most notable thing he did all year was that incredible first lap that I think won an FIA award even. It was it was that good. And it's uh, it just delivered a, a cracking race. And um, Alex, you and I went for a, a nice track run there. And it's a, it's a really cool track, just so undulating. And it just, it just feels really old school. It's kind of like these sort of new circuits that are quite, sort of sanitized and they're a bit just just a bit flat and a bit dreary whereas Portimao's got so much character so I thought it was great um I personally I mean Cod as you were saying about going there I really really enjoyed I'd never been to Portugal before but it was it was good uh, I went to the beach uh, it was lovely and uh yeah it's just a, a great event and I think that if we could have that as a Grand Prix that fans can go to be that in 2021 or in in the in the future beyond that i think it'd be an incredible event because i think you'd get so many people who want to sort of tie in a holiday and everything like that so yeah big fan of the portuguese grand prix nice drive into the circuit as well isn't there well, yeah, yeah. That, I was going to come into that. Um, I mean, first, first of all, Luke, I'm, I'm still, mate, I'm still glad you look back on your little trip to the beach with, uh, with good spirit after you managed to get absolutely soaked somehow, like up to your yes. knees, which is quite amusing. A wave caught me um, out. But yeah, I would have, I would have selected uh, Portimao slash Argov uh, as my, as my favourite new track. <laughs> But I can't after that horrendous traffic jam. I mean, we're going to get on to something at the very end of the episode. It was two days. The Saturday getting in was terrible. Sunday was even worse. And there just seemed to be no explanation, no understanding. There were only like 29,000 fans there. Like it wasn't, it was not a packed house. It was just awful, terrible. They need to need to do better if it comes back. So for that reason, my pick is, is Mugello. I mean, there's another place that could have uh, terrible traffic management uh, if Formula One were to come with, uh, with a full house first uh, of fans, simply because... This, the road infrastructure is 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 very is is not really there. It's it's very tiny roads getting in. But the actual the track is, is a bit like a bit like Portimao. Incredible layout, very atmospheric. You've got you know the mountains and the hills in the distance. Um, just a really up and down track with some incredible corners. The drivers really enjoyed the challenge. Uh, but I just really enjoyed looking back on uh, standing on the roof before the race, watching the F two thousand and four demo. That was just really really nice. Which I appreciate. You know, it's not going to happen every time every race, but it was just a nice nice little moment in my season. Uh, so Jess, coming to you uh, last for this little bit. What what would you choose as your favourite new track that appeared in twenty twenty? Well, I'm I'm gonna join the majority here. Portimao is my pick, uh, and I wish I could add something else, but the guys have covered it off perfectly. But I'm going to, I'm going to I'm gonna question your choice, Alex. Okay. Early. Um, nice. I yeah. <laughs> I I loved Mugello, and I loved Mugello. I was lucky enough to go for the MotoGP uh, in 2019, and I absolutely loved it. I think it, as you say, it's a cracking venue set in the Tuscan Hills undulating which was the buzzword of that weekend i think i don't think i've ever heard that word more than than during that weekend um and it is it is brilliant and obviously the race was just i mean two red flags just 
chaotic really um but to me it wasn't racing and it wasn't formula one and I, I agree with you like saturday was absolutely spellbinding watching the drivers try and put the perfect lap together and tackle those uh arabiata one and two was 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 fantastic to watch but when it came down to the racing it was just no one knew how to behave um and i think that was partly down to the, the track layout but so for me I I love that track, but I don't think it's set up for current Formula One. So as much as I loved it, I, I don't. I, it wouldn't be my pick. Yeah, that wasn't what you asked me to do. But <laughs> here we are. No, that but that because that, <laughs> that, I couldn't add anything else on Portimao. We, we we had a change of host though mid midway through Alex's contribution, as the host was actually um, replaced by Joe Sayward. Uh, apparently, and embarked on this tremendously entitled rant about traffic <laughs> and how dare they let people in and all that sort of thing. I, no, that that I was. It wasn't. It wasn't people getting in that was the problem. It was what if there. What what when the wonderful thing happened when more people do turn up that was my point yeah. then everybody's going to be in trouble i want i want more people to be there of course i do and more more pudsy bears in the paddock that'd be absolutely fantastic <laughs> um, but no just i, I do Ca- I think, ca- I think, careful you're reversing almost out of that window there it's, it's quite a distance away anyway um <laughs> Yes, I, I, I do totally take your point about Mugello and actually uh, the, the sort of the safety car restart chaos um, uh, brought brought to mind um, one of the one of the funniest things Michael Massey said all year. And he can turn a phrase, I think, which was that um, you know people were asking him, uh, you know, well, what was going on with the with the safety car? The, the leaders were sort of the people in the pack were blaming the leaders. The leaders were blaming the safety car driver. And Michael Massey just went, well, Formula Three managed exactly the same thing and didn't crash. So I guess the F1 drivers just shouldn't have crashed. Which I thought was uh, which I thought was fair enough. Um, Luke, let's uh, let's move on to the next uh, next little thing I have on the uh, the running order for this podcast, and that's politics in Formula One. I know you've written a feature for that for our season review issue of Autosport magazine that'll also be available on autosport.com plus. I mean, a lot happened in terms of F1 politics <laughs> this year. In any other normal year, pick any one of them, and there'd be the story of the of the political side of Formula One. You've got the you know the Concord Agreement, all the teams all the teams resigning, the Racing Point Renault brake ducks. Uh, you know the the, the 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 legality of the Racing Point car and having copied uh, the Mercedes W10. But all of that seems to be almost swept aside by the pandemic. That the overriding political agreement and disagreement and various other things and how much it has it has really changed things i mean for everybody but also for formula one as well so yeah can you can you give us a summary of politics in formula one in 2020 please cool where to begin yeah well it was need to feature out oh yes yeah, so only, only a 2000 <laughs> word feature it's fine uh, i'll do it in the voice of alan bennett just to please codders <laughs> oh that was yes. testing wasn't please it do. Where that was testing that talking, was so long ago wouldn't stop talking like alan bennett yeah <laughs> Man, uh, yeah, but it was. I mean, when we when we went to Australia, we were anticipating that all of those big political dramas would blow up. We had, we had, uh, we had Red Bull planning a protest against DAS that Mercedes had obviously brought into play in preseason testing and really captured the whole paddock's attention. And we're very, very confident that it was legal. We had the pink Mercedes, the, the racing point sort of legality question. Uh, Renault was sort of leading the, the charge on that one again, sort of questioning what would happen there. They were plotting a process. And then we had the uh, private agreement between Ferrari and the FIA regarding the legality and the performance of Ferrari's power unit in 2019. And that caused a lot of angst among the, the, the seven teams who aren't powered by Ferrari on the F1 grid. So kind of venturing to Australia, it was all kind of anticipated that that's, those were the big three stories that would come out of the weekend. And then we had the 
race cancellation, everything got swept to one side. But even amid all of that, during the sort of the crunch talks between all the teams at the, the Crown Plaza Hotel in Melbourne uh, to try and work out if they were going to race or not and what they could do, a Toto Wolf turned and said, oh, by the way, Mercedes, we're going to step away from the uh, from the Ferrari sort of uh, battle going on as well. And that, again, was another sort of another political curveball thrown in. So it was it was all kind of postponed. And then we did have this wonderful collaboration between all of the Formula One teams with, with Project Pit Lane, with Mercedes work with UCL. Uh, Ferrari did their own work in Italy as well to uh, develop ventilators to help patients fighting COVID-19. We had uh, Renault, team members working in Red Bull pit bays which is something that uh, Christian Horn I think said to you Alex that you would never have thought possible sort of a, a few months ago but it's it really was an incredible sort of show of togetherness and unity from Formula One but then we got to Austria and that one all went out the window again we had multiple protests at the first race we had DAS ruled legal we had the start of all the action against Racing Point that got to Silverstone where in the end we had uh, uh, the FIA handed a 15-point penalty to Racing Point and a fine, but said they could continue to use the brake ducts. It was a settlement that pleased absolutely nobody. We had Racing Point, they launched a plan to appeal, as did McLaren, Williams, Ferrari and Renault. And it just sort of created this whole political drama and Total Wolf was trying to act peacemaker, but then you had Ferrari and Red Bull sort of questioning, well, what's Mercedes' role in all of this? Like, if someone has their homework copied, surely they're implicit as well. And and then with all of that, we then had F1 and the FIA putting pressure on Mercedes to get Concord signed because Total Wolf said, well, Mercedes aren't happy with it. And it all this sort of goodwill F1 had broke apart as we had that uh, that Silverstone race. And it was really, uh, really quite dramatic. And then within a week, everything kind of went away in terms of Concord. Total Wolf said, in the end, actually, we're going to compromise. We've come around to it. So that got signed and that got agreed and really did pave an important path for F1's future with the revised governance structure and prize money. Obviously, earlier in the year as well, we'd had the the cost-cutting measures, the reduced budget cap and the carryover of the regulations into next year, meaning the new cars come in 2022 to save some costs as well. So it's all really important stuff that I think will define a lot of how F1's long-term future looks like and it makes it more sustainable moving forward. And uh, yeah, in the end, the the racing point process came to an end after the FIA said that they were going to put rules in place to prevent the kind of reverse engineering approach that Racing Point had taken with this year's car looking at last year's Mercedes so that ended up appeasing most parties and uh, it kind of sort of towards the end of the season we've had uh, the engine freeze question come up that's been I think the last big political question mark of the year uh, lots of different sort of side swapping Mercedes were initially in favour and now have said that they're not happy with it if Ferrari and uh, Red Bull who are now in favour of it get this mechanism in place, sort of get some power unit convergence in terms of how they perform. So it's sort of, that's a big question mark really, but I think that all in all, it's been a, a quite a big year for F1 in politics. I think it's going to set out a lot of what the future looks like for the sport in terms of both how teams approach designing their cars and also the just making it more sustainable and how, how to work moving forward. And uh, yeah, that is a, a very sort of quite a long, but also very short way of summing up F1's uh, political scene in 2020. Are you sure you're going to be able to squeeze 2,000 words out of that? <laughs> <laughs> well, he's, he's already filed, thankfully. I, I was the, the last person to get anything in for the, for the season review issue. Uh, but yes, Luke, thank mm. you very much for that summary. I mean, more drama than the latest series of The Crown, which, speaking for myself... I finished that the a, other day. Very good. It's, Very it's good fantastic, day. isn't it? I'm, I'm a Republican in the, in the British sense. I, I don't really believe in the monarchy. Well, I mean, I believe they exist, but I don't really think they should. Uh, but uh, what a fantastic like program. Anyway, I'm, getting, I'm getting utterly, <laughs> utterly sidetracked. Um, John, you, you, mentioned, you mentioned briefly the, the virtual this year Ferrari lunch that took place recently. Yes. 
What what is the team saying? Because that that's another big story that's always that's all linked in with politics in terms of the main reason why the team performed so badly this year was because of the uh, the engine deficit that it had after the, the settlement with the FIA. So what is Ferrari saying heading into twenty twenty one? Uh, that things won't be as bad as they were this season. Um, in simple terms, the FIA technical directors, which clamp down on teams kind of messing around with the fuel sensors, because um, that's the suspicions, that's what Fry was doing in 2019, even though it was never proven that they actually broke the regulations. Um, but it's clear they took a step back. Um, Ferrari continues to argue that all the teams suffered. They just happened to suffer more than the others, but I'm not sure all the other manufacturers agree with that statement. But whatever way, Ferrari took a big step back on power. At the same time, they kind of shifted their aero concept a little bit. They felt they needed a car that had more downforce, um, except I think they were targeting a car that was delivering a certain amount of power. So they ended up with a car that was far too draggy for the the power output, Um, a car that didn't handle particularly well with a very nervous rear end that Sebastian Vettel couldn't get on with at all, really. Plus, there was no, because of the COVID restrictions, you couldn't change chassis. Um, you couldn't introduce an engine, a major engine update during the season. So pretty much stuck with what they started with. So the season was a write-off. But they've got an all-new engine coming for next year, which they are pretty confident will lift them up. Maybe not as good as the Mercedes, but um, Mattia Bonotto is confident they won't be they'll have the least powerful engine in 2021. Um, and car-wise, it'll be less draggy. Hopefully, the balance will be better. Um and, you know, we've seen Charles Leclerc pull off some miracles in that Ferrari this season, a really, really strong season considering, you know, how bad it could have been. Um, so I think there'll be progress next year. I don't think it'll be as bad as this season, but I still think they're going to struggle to, you know, t- to be a guaranteed third place. Indeed. Well, let's let's move on to the next selection for this podcast. Uh, everybody, I asked you to to choose what you thought was your favourite storyline of F1 2020, because that's that's what I think is the most interesting thing about Formula One, is the stories that go alongside with the racing. It's the, it's the human sort of element of it. Um, so, Codders, what, what was your favourite storyline of the season? The, the ongoing failure of Valtteri Bottas version 3.5.9 to um, make it stick against his teammate and construct a championship challenge is fairly well documented and, and a very similar storyline to one we've seen before. So I've I've kind of gone, I, I, I like Sergio Perez's journey through this season from kind of being being a driver who everyone, everyone had categorised and pigeonholed as a, a, a very competent operator who is a solid midfield driver, someone who can extract the maximum from a midfield car. And if there are points available, um, he can bag those pretty much every time. And at the beginning of the season, he looked very much not like that at all. And frankly, making a pig's ear of opportunities that came his way. You kind of thought, well, what, who are you and what have you done with Sergio Perez? Though, of course, he missed a couple of races with COVID. Uh, and he's sort of dragged his way back into contention in a, in a way, hasn't he? He's become not just a solid point scorer, someone who knows how to make the tyres work, someone who's, who's very reliable in terms of racecraft. He's now a Grand Prix winner, and I thought that rounded off the season very nicely. It certainly did. Well, why don't, why don't we jump ahead a little bit in terms of the running order of the podcast? Jess, what, what was your reaction to the news that finally Red Bull made a decision about its 2021 drive lineup and it opted to pick Perez in place of Alex Albon? Uh, it's this is a good start. It, just, <laughs> uh, just Red Bull just need to sort themselves out. <laughs> I just it, it's just 
for me, it's just point proven that that everything went wrong for them when Daniel Ricciardo announced that they were he was leaving the team, and they were caught off guard. And that then started a chain of events that has ended up with yet another one of their young drivers uh, booted booted out. And obviously that that will be their their second driver uh, if we're to take uh, Daniel Kvyat, who at 26 is leaving Formula One for the second time, um, is just is the mind boggles, really. The fact that they are one of the teams that has so strongly supported young talent in motorsport, which as everybody listening and all of us know is probably one of the hardest sports to to get to the top level of. Um, it's just, for me, it's, it's, it's one of those stories that's just tinged with so much sadness and just wasted talent that it's, it's, it's one of those things where obviously I was glad to see Sergio Perez gets a seat next year but yet again a young talent has ha- has gone through one of the hardest seasons in their career ever um you know this is this is Alex Albon's second season in Formula One and he's out and yeah okay I'm sure everybody will be saying well you know he's going to be in a he's going to be in a reserve driver role and he's he's get, he's going to be looked after and he might come back again when they find another seat for him but that's not the point, I don't think. So it's kind of been one of those, I guess in Formula One, someone has to lose out. That's kind of, we've got 20 seats in Formula One currently. Um, and you're always going to get losers and winners. It's kind of the name of the game. But it's just one of those things where, it, yet again, we're here. And I guess it's kind of linked to my favourite story, or one of my favourite stories, which I know, Alex, you also uh, pointed out as well, is is obviously Gasly's redemption story, which we just saw echoed again this year with Alex Albon. Unfortunately for Alex, there's not somewhere for him to fall back to. Because again, they're deciding to fast track a young driver who, don't get me wrong, Yuki Tsunoda has had a blinder of a year in Formula 2. He's a hugely talented driver and a real exciting talent. But again, a very young, young driver has been fast tracked into Formula One where the pressure mounts and is so much higher and, and not everybody is a Max Verstappen. <laughs> I, think, I think there's this, this, this kind of feeling that everybody that Red Bull puts through, and this is just for obviously me commenting from an outsider's perspective, this is not a reflection of, of, of anything that has been said by the Red Bull team or their driver development program, but it's, it's, it's this 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 need to keep filling seats with young drivers and that's that's ultimately ended drivers careers um you know and the fact that that they have so many drivers that aren't just in formula one you know there's there, there's been uh jean-eric verne uh da costa they've all been burnt by the red bull junior program and it's just it's one of those sad stories that i don't really know what the fix is um and it just, it just, for me, it just, it does kind of come into question. And, and, and I think McLaren um, came out and, and, and said that they, that's the, that's their, their approach to it is to have a very direct approach with their young driver program um, to stop something like the, the problem that we've got with the, at Red Bull. Um, so, yeah, uh, in case you haven't noticed, I'm quite passionate about, about this topic. It's been a great but, podcast topic for us, Jess, honestly. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. I know. This is all I'm doing, Luke. I just, I'm just sat here harvesting ideas for, nice. uh, for when we come back in the in the season. But yeah, it's just, it's, it, it was, it was. I, I, yeah, as I said, I don't know what the fix is. Um, good for Perez. Real, real heartbreak for Albon. No, he didn't. Albon didn't step up to the plate enough. But that's because he should still be at Alpha Tauri. Really. Yeah. Um and, and, and having the chance that George Russell is having at Williams to kind of make his mistakes, to to crash behind safety cars, and then to be the hero once they've kind of come to come to some level of maturity. So it's 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 F one, right? Heartbreaks and and stories of redemption and and uh, that's that's kind of the sport that or the series that we follow so indeed i think you're right it does link into you know i i agree with you the the gasly redemption is is what is my pick as the storyline of the season and i think it is a big shame that alex Albon won't have that opportunity to go back to to alpha tauri and 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 immediately you know change 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 the storyline change change you know the trajectory of things um but yeah we, obviously we wish Yuki Sonoda well but uh yeah be, uh, be very interesting to to see what goes on Alpha Tauri next year and, and indeed how Perez gets on alongside Max Verstappen because that is is no is not an easy gig being his teammate <laughs> frankly uh Luke what was your pick for storyline of the year I was quite surprised when Codder said that Perez was left field choice because that was actually going to be my pick as well you know because I think it's been it has been quite remarkable to see how Checo has kind of started slowly but then through the season been pretty solid right the way throughout and then just been absolutely brilliant for the past for the last sort of four or five races I mean he I think he should have had four podiums in a row I think you, you could argue at one point and he was just superb so he was yeah it was it was fantastic and I think that was that was really really good to see but I, I think Aside from that, I and I spoke about this on the podcast with Jess um, we recorded last week, that I think the way that F1 has kind of found its voice a lot more in, in terms of social issues and, and things such as that, I think that by no means perfect. I think there's a huge amount of work to be done. But I think as a sport, it's started to kind of grow up a little bit more and understand the world outside of the F1 bubble. And I think that Lewis Hamilton has obviously been front and centre leading that uh, with all of his work around Black Lives Matter and everything. And it's been really remarkable to see, I think, Lewis this year through all of his record-breaking achievements, I think, and he would have, he recognises this himself as well. The work he's doing off track is so much more important and so much more wide reaching. So I think that's been, that's been really incredible to see. So I think, yeah, I'm, I'm very, I feel very proud of my sport. I do, I do feel pleased that we are sort of taking steps towards uh, making things better. I think there is, there is so much more work to be done. I think um, today, obviously learning that Nikita Mazepin Haas has said that the matter has been dealt with internally and there'll be nothing more said about it. I think that, it's very disappointing that F1 and the FIA have not done more to make a stand about that. They kind of just went, it's Haas's problem and we'll leave it with you. So I think that if F1 does want to sort of have a bit more of a, a social backbone and awareness, I think it maybe does need to do more. But it's taken the right steps this year. I feel it's making some progress. So I've been, yeah, very, very pleased by that. Yeah, I think to, on, on the on the Mazepin front, the on, on the one hand, you, you don't want to see someone be sort of subjected to trial by social media but on, on the other hand I do think and I agree with you there Luke that from promising beginnings um, F1 has shown a little bit of weakness there on, on that front by just not saying anything at all and booting it down the road to, to my mind and, and I've said this on social media it it renders the whole we race as one thing a bit of a waste of inclusive coloured ink doesn't it? I think I said it I said it this season 
preview um and, and this was asked a lot in terms of very early on like has f1 done enough with the re- re- we race as one program um and this was almost the perfect time for them to to say how they how they how they see it happening and 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 because uh, what i said was I don't care about words on a car, really, fundamentally. I know it's very important for a lot of people to see an outward show of this is a repetitive thing, you know, we're, we're branding this, it's, we're taking it seriously, but it's very different than actually seeing action. And I think that's that the, the, the thing, you're, you're right, Codders, I don't want to, this isn't, this isn't the same as cancel culture, but I think, you know, social is very quick to, to jump on topics and to, and to want uh, an immediate level of justice um it's it's that immediacy in the ju- in in the justice but i do think people want people don't it's not enough to sweep something under the carpet and go we're dealing with this internally people need to see that that it's being even if it is being taken seriously internally people need to see something outwardly they need they need to see a show of action not just words and i think that's the that's the risk that f1 is and the fia is is dealing with right here is that this looks like it's being swept under the carpet mm. and ma- even if it's not i think that's what people need to see that, that, that it's not just a hashtag that they're putting on every social media post and covering all their cars in rainbows and being really like oh you know we love everybody and everybody's welcome when it it feels like that's that's not been the case at all in this scenario and and that that there is there is an individual that is that is that is broken the international sporting code when it comes down to it regardless of whether that's happened during a FIA event or not that there needs to be some form of this is this is punishable regardless of that if that's going on behind the scenes or whatever people just need to see either some form of shame or some form of consequence that that people because I mean people are throwing up examples that I don't think are potentially um, comparable but but that that's 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 what all the people want that's what pe- that's why people are tweeting about it that's why the we say no to mazepin it is all over twitter because nobody is seeing anything outwardly other than really horrifically bureaucratic statements that mean nothing to anybody it's not human it's not it's and i think that's that's where the that's where the upset's coming from yeah you know if you if you're a sports person or anyone in the public eye then a a standard of behavior is expected of you because you are more prominent and sports people um racing drivers people look up to them that's why lewis hamilton has such a phenomenal power because people look at him they see his story they want to be like him and that is why we have to they must be held to a higher standard of behavior um and, and to, to sort of flip into a different sector uh, tom baker who many for many years played doctor who said that um it's basically it, it's not just a, a role where you go into a studio and you do you speak your lines and stand in the spot and the camera points at you it is a 24 hour a day seven days a week job because if if a small child sidles up to you in the produce section of Sainsbury's and asks you for an autograph you can't tell them to bog off and kick them in the face because uh, you, you you are inhabiting your role constantly and and that is what is expected of you I've actually seen Tom Baker in the produce section of a Marks and Spencers you know in Hastings. <laughs> Did he, oh, kick fabulous. did he kick you in the face? He didn't, no. I didn't sidle up to him either. Everyone was like, oh, that's Doctor Who. And I was like, who? 
Good. I mean, don't get me started on Doctor Who to go from the sublime of a, of a very, uh, very excellent discussion on a, on a serious subject to the ridiculous of, uh, of my views on Doctor Who. Um, John, let, let's uh, let, let's wrap up this little segment in terms of storylines. What was your favourite storyline of the season? Well, there was there was we had some there were the small flashpoints like Gaz's win was fantastic. I especially liked the um, kind of intrigue and amusement around Cyril and his tattoo. I thought it was a really really great. Um, side topic to the progress of Renault, nice bit of human interest, and obviously Daniel Ricciardo right bang in the centre of it, um, as he was. But I'm, I think I'm going to go with the majority here, and the, the, the Perez story of um, kind of hero to zero to hero, that um, I think it's not just that he got the Red Bull seat after doing well, it was the fact that, you know, he came into the season, he was the first driver to go down with COVID, uh, he, he was the man who'd saved Force, Force India, um, helped with the, the deal that emerged as Racing Point. So basically set, helped save this team from oblivion. Uh, had a firm contract in the bag. All the speculation about Vettel um, got dropped. Racing Point exercised the break clause in his contracts. So And then was left completely on the sidelines, viewed as a very unjust thing for a driver performing so well. Uh, and then knuckled down and delivered to the max and got, got the... the the grand prize at the end of it. I just think it's a really great season-long storyline um, rather than a driver doing especially well like Gasly did was a straightforward, this is good, he's made progress, this is good. I think the whole roller coaster of Perez's 2020 season was probably the probably the winner at the end of it. Well, you summed up the ending there when you said delivered to the max because that's what's going to happen when he lines up against Verstappen uh, next year. Um, but let's uh, let, let's go into another selection I've asked you asked you guys to make. God, his, his, his biggest disappointment of the year, and my pick is uh, is Red Bull again failing to produce a car that could take on Mercedes. There was a lot of hope that they'd start the season strongly, and it wasn't that big a gap to bridge. But then I think Mercedes unleashed the W11, fixed the engine problem, and it was a completely different ball game. But again, Red Bull. They were saying by the end of the year, well, we've got a, an inherent weakness in the car. Um, and he was like, well, how did you manage that sort of again? And he's like, OK, well, now it's next year we've got to look forward to. And he's like, ah, but come on, you've finally got to step up eventually. But uh, fingers crossed I'll do that next year. Um, but would I would I infer from what you said earlier that Valtteri Bottas is your biggest disappointment of the season? Or was there something else? No, because uh, once once again, the Bottas thing and also like uh, your, your disappointment with Red Bull it's, it's a storyline purloined from an early earlier season and one we've seen before so for that reason I can't be disappointed in watching something that happened that has already happened many times before so uh, yeah, I'm, my... I'm disappointed that people still think that it's going to change coming into the next yes. season <laughs> that's, that's the biggest disappointment exactly you know like, like like that line popularly misattributed to albert einstein about uh expect doing doing the same old thing and expecting a different outcome <laughs> uh so yeah my disappointment of the year is um racing point sadly um and i've, I've touched a few of these issues earlier they, they used to be the most effective uh team pound for pound made a little budget go a long way always extracting the maximum from uh, what they had, and I and I felt that this year with 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 the car that they had, they'd set themselves higher aspirations. They they were more ambitious. They wanted better. Got a new owner, of course, who wants better. He wants uh, instant results. He's invested heavily in in a road car business that uh, they're going to rebrand as next year. So they they obviously wanted more, and and they're struggling to realise those ambitions. And and for me. That, that these ideas coalesced in my head at, at, in, in Turkey, where you can sort of say yes, the drivers didn't execute from a strong position, 
but at the same time the, the root of them being where they were on the grid came down to a team decision to set the car up for qualifying conditions on the day those conditions didn't prevail throughout the entire race and so what happened in the race came about through a team decision to prioritize qualifying and i kind of felt that the the racing point team of old that went in and and sort of burgled results during the race wouldn't have sort of tried to do that sort of shortcut to get good grid position i kind of felt that it was a short-sighted decision and wasn't really becoming of them so yeah i feel that they've they've let me down a little bit this season that's very interesting. I also think that uh, Verstappen probably should have beaten them to pole in that session anyway. I think he, he sort of underperformed when the switch came to intermediates uh, and was obviously very annoyed with himself. Pictured sitting by some bins at one point, I think. Um, Jess, what was your biggest disappointment of the season other than people hoping that Valtteri Bottas would uh, provide some challenge to Lewis Hamilton? Well, unless that's it, which is perfectly fine to be that. So. No, no, no. no I'll, pick, I'll pick something better than that. Um, I think for me, and again, this is kind of a more kind of off-track uh discussion but but the belittlement of lewis hamilton's achievements i think was quite a disappointing storyline for me um Mm -hmm. we've obviously it was a very strange season and you know right from the get-go there were kind of rumbles of well you know it won't count as a proper season because it's not the 21 races planned and um yeah we're doing it in weird scenarios we've had drivers drop out because of covid lewis hamilton being one of them um that, that it wasn't going to count. So whoever won the championship, it well, you know, it doesn't really count. I would say that what we did see was that it 100% counts. Um, and if anything, it's it, it's nothing more than miraculous that, that we've still been able to see what we saw this season. Um, and the results that we saw and the fact that we got to witness history in the breaking of records and the matching of records. I mean, seven-time world champion... Although it looked, in, if the case of, uh, you know, the, the, the power pairing of Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton was set to continue, and as, you, as we've touched on, Red Bull can't seem to touch them, Ferrari have gone backwards, that people would say, well, it was inevitable. But I, I think it goes back to that great quote that I really wish I know who said, because I feel like I'm stealing it every time, and then why I have to come out and say, this isn't my quote, please don't quote me, as saying it, I'm, I'm not this good with words. But uh, the fact that, Good, good drivers get the best cars and great drivers keep them. And that is Lewis Hamilton all over. But there was a lot of talk around his deservingness of the, these accolades. And I just think there were so many instances this season that just showed why he is as brilliant as he is. Um, and I think, yeah, it's just quite sad that that people still try and take that away. And I, to be honest, I don't know when that will ever stop. Um, and again, we had we had this with previous champions as well. You know, Vettel, it was all because, well, you know, it's, it's, it's the Red Bull. The Red Bull's a dominant car and therefore Vettel's achievements were belittled. But it is, it is just sad to see the fact that we're, we're witnessing history and it's tinged with this whole, yeah, but, you know, it's just the car arguments. So, yeah, that for me was quite disappointing this year. And that, that, that brings us on to, to a really interesting thing to consider about the 2020 season is where to rate Lewis Hamilton's record equaling title compared to the ones that have come before. Because I think there's a case to be made that he probably is driving better than he ever has 
probably driving, certainly driving better than he did in, in 2008 when there were some pretty massive errors on the way to winning the title. But the opposition, as, as you mentioned, Jess, just wasn't as high this year. Like, you know, the Ferrari really challenged in 2008, really challenged in 2018. There's definitely a case to be made that sort of the rest of the other seasons, um, the opposition just didn't, didn't step up. <clears throat> didn't step up. But nevertheless, I think Hamilton's performance was was phenomenal this year. He did exactly what he had to do. He knew, they all knew that there was a threat from coronavirus could force them to miss a race. I mean, imagine if he, he hadn't been on it as he had been at the start of the season and then he gets COVID and then that ends up costing him the championship. He did what he had to do and was phenomenal doing it. So, John, you know, having having covered all of Lewis Hamilton's world championship success so far, where would you rank this one in particular? Um yeah, it's tough because it's. I don't. It wasn't the hardest for World Championship. I mean, if you think how, if you think about that 2008 one, for example, and going down to the final corner of the the final lap in a season of ups and downs, um, was probably probably his best performance, though I think, just because he was he was so good. I don't think there was any real moment where he made a massive massive error he got, I mean he had tangled with Albon in Austria but you know safety car restart um, wasn't particularly um, didn't particularly do anything wrong just I think you know more a racing a racing incident and you know perhaps caught out by the, the offset of tyres between the two cars um, but there was never a moment where you thought Lewis threw away a result that he should have had there were more often afternoons where the result came that you'd question whether other people would have achieved that. You think of Turkey, for example, when, um, you know, 10 laps into that race, you'd have thought Lewis is going to struggle to get anywhere near the podium um, this afternoon, let alone go on and dominate it. So um, I think you've got to put it well up there. Um, but I think this all boils back into the disappointment of the season is I think the fact that we didn't have a proper championship fight. We had a really, really good season of individual races, there was never a point in the in the season we thought, oh, this is so boring. Yes, we had boring afternoons. Um, Abu Dhabi was particularly um, lacklustre. Luckily, the Spanish Grand Prix, I was on holiday on a beach, so that one wasn't too bad. <laughs> um, and Spa as well was a bit of a Spa. Spa was also a bit of a disappointment. But I think that's the that was exactly what happened at the British Grand Prix. So you have an early safety car, everyone stitch, switches across to the harder tyre, and then is tyre managing for the rest of the afternoon. So it's it's a weakness of the current F1 format. Um, but lots of good races. Just a shame there wasn't the tension of a championship fight. So I think we've really got to hope that next year, you know, Valtteri does step up and Red Bull do maintain this momentum. And hopefully you can have two cars up there just disrupting Mercedes, putting them on the edge. Because we have seen races look at Monza, look at um, Sakir Grand Prix where when there is a little bit of pressure on Mercedes, they can crack. Indeed. And I think, um, I don't, I don't want to put a downer on that speculation about Red Bull because believe me, I want nothing more than a really close title fight going the whole season 2021. But Mercedes didn't update their car since Spa and you just go, oh, they're going to do it again. They're going to pack it all on. They're going to use all their tokens. They're going to use everything they can and they'll turn up in wherever the race starts next year and the W12 will just, will just be the next step. But, you know, now I've said it, probably won't happen. Uh, Luke, what was your biggest disappointment of F1 2020? Uh, probably Sebastian Vettel. 
which is a shame because I, I've always really rated Seb and I, I still do. I, I don't think one bad season can necessarily define a, a driver's career, but I think that he was just so far off the boil this year and so far off Charles Leclerc. It was, it was kind of sad to see in a way just how his year unraveled. And obviously we had news in what May that he wouldn't be staying with Ferrari and then it later emerged that Ferrari had never even uh, offered him a new contract that it simply decided they didn't want to work with him anymore and that it would be replacing him with Carlos Sainz and I think it was from there I mean Seb has said himself it was always going to be a different kind of year after that news had come through and that decision had been made but that his performances were just so so underwhelming throughout the season apart from Turkey he didn't really really factor in I think he had a he had a good race at the Spanish Grand Prix where he had to basically talk Ferrari out of a strategy call and he was able to vault his way up to seventh, I believe, on a, a good one-stop strategy. But he had, what, I believe 13 consecutive races where he didn't make Q3, which is just astonishing for a, a four-time world champion and a driver with so many poles to his name. And it was it was just really quite disappointing. And I think that to see that sort of final race in Abu Dhabi where Ferrari ran a completely different strategy and you were just watching it unfold and you were just like, yeah, okay, now this is going to end. Vettel's going to finish 14th. And that's exactly what he did. And it was just... Yeah, a bit of a shame, and I'm glad that he is sticking around next year. I think next year is going to be crucial for defining what Sebastian Vettel's legacy and how he's remembered as an F1 driver in years to come, um, because he he has to blow the doors off Lance Stroll. He has to. He has to prove that he's that good. He has to show that he can really take Aston Martin forward and, and be the face for that brand and prove that they were right in binning off now Grand Prix winner Sergio Perez who Red Bull decided that's the man we want to partner Max Verstappen that's the man who for the first time in 13 years we're going to go outside our driver pool um he's a very attractive option so for Aston Martin to have spurned him in favor of Vettel it's a lot of pressure on Vettel now and I just really hope next year he can bounce back bounce back and show some of the form that made him a four-time world champion because this year he just looked really 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 average and I think that's probably putting it very kindly Incidentally, um, I was interviewing George Russell the other day and we were speaking about how, you know, he, he really improved in terms of his racecraft. I think early on in the year, he's a little bit rusty. He went off the track uh, in the Styrian Grand Prix at the start battling Kevin Magnussen and then ended the season, you know, it's going to stick in everybody's minds that pass he put in on Valtteri Bottas. And uh, in, first of all, he was saying, you know, it's down to the Williams car being more raceful this year. He's got more practice in. But also he said he spent a lot of time fighting Sebastian Vettel. Highlighted that as, uh, as, uh, as one of the reasons why, why he improved, which I guess shows you just how far... Vettel fell in that Ferrari in terms of well the, the Ferrari was bad but you know it wasn't Leclerc that Russell picked as the, the person that he raced most often this year Codders I, I have to say that uh, just following up Luke's point there from from earlier in, in his uh, contribution that um, what, what, what for, for me it was a toss up between Racing Point and, and Ferrari's strategic omnishambles as the disappointment of the year because you know you can you can understand the reasons for the car not being great and that knocking on to Sebastian Vettel not being great but how many times as a Grand Prix unfolded and the topic of our WhatsApp discussions uh, has been what are Ferrari doing why and it's race after race just not not even just throwing a strategy at the wall to see if it sticks just doing completely stupid stuff as if they're watching a different race yeah particularly in in, in Abu Dhabi staying out under the safety car on aging tyres with a car that was really bad in a straight line I mean, that's, that sort of summed it up didn't it right at the end of the year yeah. um, but stupidest let, thing uh, ever 
<laughs> let's move on well maybe we'll move on to that because it's the bit of the podcast that i've been trying to put off for a very long time and that is my top 10 driver selection uh going to run through the top 10 and then you guys will be able to question why i picked that particular order or maybe you'll agree and say i got it completely spot on but i somewhat suspect that won't happen so in 10th place you've got lando norris ninth carlos Sainz jr eighth george russell seventh valtteri bottas sixth sergio perez fifth daniel ricardo Fourth, Charles Leclerc. Third, Pierre Gasly. Second, Max Verstappen. And first, Lewis Hamilton. And we actually did a we actually did a podcast uh, last night talking about the top fifty drivers uh, that Autosport selected for for our regular list feature this year. And uh, Kevin Turner was was sort of we were sort of joking. You know, it was an easy pick for Lewis Hamilton to be number one. Well, actually, for a long part of this season, I could not separate. Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton. They were they were they were neck and neck. I, I thought both drivers absolutely phenomenal. And what edged it? was as the season drew to a close, I thought Hamilton just pulled ahead, particularly with the Turkish Grand Prix. Verstappen is the one that, you know, he's obviously very good in the wet, as is Lewis Hamilton. He was the one that spun when he looked like he was going to overtake the racing point cars, whereas Hamilton nailed it. And then there were just a few more occasions where I thought Verstappen needlessly made a few little errors, particularly in qualifying. Again, at Turkey, I thought he should have been on pole there. Uh, But anyway, yeah, who'd like to go first and tell me what an awful ranker I am? Why is Gasly so high up? Why would he not be? Absolutely phenomenal this year in a in a in a car that of uh, of all the others on that list, apart from George Russell, probably slower for most of the season. I thought he really produced in a in a in a difficult situation. Not not like you know like everything's really against him. Obviously, the Alfatori team is is a tremendous team and they work very well there. But considering the pressure that he was under, considering the story that had gone before, he got his opportunity to to rewrite his his Formula One storyline and he took it and he won that race in Monza under incredible pressure from Carlos Sainz Jr., who was also excellent that day. And even before then, he'd had a phenomenal season. He was getting results that that car didn't really arguably deserve. And I also thought his teammate, Daniel Kvyat, also had a great season and Gasly was just consistently better. Codders? Um, why have you ranked George Russell ahead of Carlos Sainz and Lando Norris, who I would say have probably been a little bit more consistent and made fewer errors, although I'm I'm prepared to be argued into the floor here. And I'm not demeaning uh, George's performance over the season at all. Just maybe I would have put him slightly further back than than you've placed him well it, it all came down to a few things uh really one he obviously he is he is in there with comfortably the slowest car on that list and i thought he did tremendous things he, he excelled where he could which was in qualifying he really really showed how good he was how fast he was um he improved over the course of the season that, that's that's a good factor you know he didn't he didn't have you know there was no sort of decline he, he made mistakes at the start that he wasn't making later on in the season the big argument against George Russell was the big errors that he did make such as crashing under the safety car at Imola uh, and there were a few occasions where I think potentially you say I'm being a bit hard on him all the time to, to keep bringing up the starts but it's, it's just been a bit of a feature of his career that he's, he's had, had problems uh, uh, with the starts and I think that cost him getting points at Mugello and um, but the, the race the race for Mercedes in 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 the Sakir Grand Prix was was absolutely phenomenal. He 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 told me that he didn't expect to be quick that day. He they told him treat this one as a test. You're going to get Abu Dhabi because it's so unlikely Lewis will be back. So do your best here, bring it home, and the next one is where you've got to really impress us. But he just he sees his opportunity and he didn't look like it was going to get away from him. And I thought that was really really impressive. Yeah, okay. I think yeah you could you can definitely make a case that I've been ever so slightly harsh on the McLaren drivers. And honestly it was a little bit of a cop-out putting them next to each other in the list because they were they were both brilliant, both had some very bad luck and just, yeah, just generally separating them was very, very difficult. But uh, but yeah, anyway, that, that's why I put Russell ahead of the McLarens. 
You've got to seize the moment, haven't you? I was waiting for that. <laughs> Indeed. Any any other complaints? Um, it doesn't have to be like this. You could just complain about me if you want. That's fine. Um, <laughs> oh, we'll get onto that in a bit. But um, oh, we will. No. Don't worry, we will. No, uh, I actually looking at this. I wasn't too. I thought that looks pretty solid. I think Daniel Ricciardo fifth maybe would have pitched him above Gasly and Leclerc. What's your thinking behind those three in particular? Because I guess that's quite hard to um, define between them. Yeah, that again. Yeah, I, I did think. I thought that might come up as a bit of a contentious issue. Um, but I just thought Leclerc, with considering the car problems that he had, considering he sort of he, it's interesting to consider how a driver reacts to the first time they're really facing adversity because he's been on a constant upward trend since he came out of European Formula 3, went into GP3, won the title, first rookie F2 winner. I was very impressed with him in 2017, you know, came in in the Sauber. Yeah, that was a little bit of tricky start of the stuff, uh, tricky stuff at the start, but then he, he, he took it on from there and then won races, should have won in Bahrain very early on at Ferrari. Um, suddenly found himself in a difficult situation and nailed it. He wasn't the one that made didn't make it out of Q2 uh, every race since the 70th anniversary Grand Prix and he produced some absolutely stunning performances whereas I so I just thought I, I just rewarded him for his high points being slightly higher than Ricardo's who took you know yeah the Renault was a good step forward when they turned up in, in Austria but it took a little while for them to sort of figure everything out and then he, he was brilliant and seized his moments but that's why he just just edged ahead for me anything else good I mean, I've got away with that you. You've got off lightly here, I, I think. think uh, no, the, the readers and listeners, you're more than, I mean, I hope you don't, but you're more than free to get in touch and tell me what a joke I am. Uh, and speaking of which, we're going to end hopefully on a nice light section, um, which is Alex's embarrassing moments of the 2020 season. I did sort of promise this on various podcasts throughout the year. I just have to check my notes. I, don't, I didn't reveal them. I wanted you all to, to hear. I mean, you, all of you at various points have lived these with me. You've been witnesses to them, but obviously not all at once. So... <clears throat> We're going to start off with a couple of early ones, and they involve some culinary mishaps on our travels this oh, year. God. Uh, there was the there was the the dinner the, the dinner that we went to after the final day of testing at Barcelona, where I I, I ordered a steak with Roquefort sauce in Barcelona, and was surprised when it turned up and it was steak covered in cheese. Don't know, don't know. I thought it was going to be red wine. I don't know why. That sounded not. I just, that, yeah, I don't know how I managed that. It was, one of the one of the former Autosport staff members have made exactly the same mistake one year ordering steak Rockfort turned up complained mm, this is a bit cheesy uh, and then we asked them so why why did you order it and they said oh it sounded like the Rockford files so I thought it would be quite cool uh, well, oh dear well, lord well well I hope that means I'm in good company I, I I can chip in here with the story of um, not a motor racing thing, but a motoring thing. Um, many years ago, when I was invited on a jolly to the uh, Paris Motor Show as a guest of Seat, I think, um, and the motoring journalists, um, who unlike motor racing journalists who have to cater themselves, the motoring journalists uh, very much get the red carpet treatment, and we're taken out to this posh restaurant in Paris, and a number of the journalists and bearing in mind these are people who've enjoyed um suckling on the teat of pr budgets for a long time and have great culinary knowledge there's a number of them ordered steak tartare and were furious aghast and alarmed when this dish of uh, raw minced beef was whisked together with egg and tabasco sauce under their noses because they thought it was going to be steak with tartare sauce <laughs> 
Oh, well. what an awful combination. I don't know what's worse. Exactly. That, that's, that's I don't think, you know, of, you're well-travelled. That does kind of bring me on to my, my next one, which is another current culinary mishap, which was on the, the night. It was actually not long before it was revealed that the McLaren team member had really sadly tested positive. And John, uh, you and Andrew Van Leeuwen and I, we swung into action covering various things. I think at one point we ended up sitting by some bins near uh, near the, the Harry Potter production in, uh, in in central Melbourne, which was uh, would always stick in my mind. Um, but yeah, that very restaurant, I ordered uh, spaghetti marinara and was surprised and disappointed that it turned up with seafood in it. <laughs> didn't, I, I don't know why I, I, I didn't I just thought it was going to be like spaghetti with tomato sauce I don't know how I managed it but yeah that's a bit bad uh, the other the other culinary one that makes this list uh, was I ordered a pizza one night when we were in Monza and a steak turned up I wasn't disappointed it was it was really really nice but I just don't know what what went wrong that that did happen um there was also not understanding how light worked when Jess you and I were trying to record that driver ratings YouTube video at Silverstone that's pretty bad <laughs> That was pretty, yeah. I mean, I was very tired, but yeah, that was that was. That I was think that bit. that yeah, that was. I think you'd had about two hours sleep if that. Um, and yeah, trying to just just basically asking you to face a window. It was it was the fact that we were having to explain to you what sitting opposite a window meant. Yeah. But in your in your tired delusion, you weren't having any of it. You just were like, you're getting what you're given, guys. So deal with it. We, um, we got there in the end, fortunately. We did. We did. We we managed to massage you into uh into into being very very good on the on the end video. But yeah. <laughs> no, you used, was, you put it, you put up with me being a brat basically. <laughs> You were massaged. <laughs> I not, didn't realise. Not, not actually. No. <laughs> Quite hard to do that for a Zoom call, to be honest. Uh, his, his, his ego was massaged to a point that he was uh, he was willing to partake in the in the video. But yeah, no, we got we got we got we got there in the end. We did. Uh, there was the send managing sending an empty folder of audio files uh, during the Sakir Grand Prix <laughs> weekend to our podcast producers. Uh, yeah, don't know how I managed that compressed the file as I needed to just sent them the empty folder pretty bad um, but the number one worst thing that happened or the worst thing I did this year was when Luke and I arrived on Saturday morning at the Portuguese Grand Prix as uh, so we were walking through the tunnel we'd had our, our, our temperatures checked to get in it was all good we were going to get in uh, for the start of FP3 and I'm walking along I'm thinking oh my, my bag feels quite light and I didn't even, I knew instantly I'd left my laptop back at the Airbnb <laughs> and uh, I had to go and get it. So Luke was tasked with doing the FB3 report and, uh, and I, had to, I had to drive back and, and go back. But the traffic was clear on the way back in. So I made it in time, I made it in time to watch FB3 on, on, on uh, F1 TV and then, uh, and then cover qualifying. So, you know, had a happy ending. Um, anyway, well, just to conclude this podcast from me being an absolute shambles and fingers crossed I still have a job after admitting all of that into 2021. Uh, Codders, I just wanted to ask you, because I know you've made a bit of a thing, uh, you know, very entertaining thing of uh, having to do various uh, things on Zoom this year. What was your number one Zoom background that you baffled Formula One drivers and personnel with this year? Well, I, I, I was almost inclined to say um, my number one Zoom background was was my not background of, of the of the broom cupboard that you see behind me here, because I interviewed Esteban Ocon uh, at the oh yeah, Bahrain, Sakir, I think maybe Bahrain too. And he said, ah, so that's what that room looks like. Because he's so used to seeing, you know, Brian Blessed's Prison Planet, Rene's Cafe from a lower low, um, the Four Seasons Total Landscaping, that was my various one. pubs. I love that. 
<laughs> yeah, uh, and and um, it, I, 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 hats off to Luke here because although uh, among my favourites, we have to rank my tribute to the dear departed Dame Barbara Windsor, where I went for a full weekend with uh, the um, the Queen Vic as my uh, as my Zoom backdrop. Uh, I've got a great tip off from Luke that Four Seasons Total Landscaping had produced their own Zoom background so that people <laughs> could hold their own virtual press conferences outside their premises. <laughs> good stuff good stuff well i i very much enjoy the esteban ocon was paying that much attention to you guys i think that's uh you know very, very good very good on it was him. remarkable well he's so used to having these ridiculous things he literally said that's what that room looks like and oh nice selection of passes you've got behind you because i would kind of forgotten that the i've basically got everything ever just hanging off uh, a bookshelf that would probably fall over if it wasn't screwed to the wall there was another good one in uh, Austin, I believe. So Andrew Benson, who works for the BBC, he would always do a theme background, depending what the race was. So for for Austin, he did uh, he did a sort of um, he had his Zoom background as like the, the main sort of cent- central strip going through the city, and uh, popped up on the Ferrari press call. And um, uh, Charlotte Clerk goes, "Oh, watch out! You're going to get run over! You're going to get run over!" Which is mildly entertaining. Um, <laughs> also, also enjoyed Sebastian Vettel admiring the the artwork in the the Autosport office uh, when I, I was in there back in back oh, in yeah. the summer. Which was, uh, yeah, it was a nice touch there. And Aston Martin leading the way, which I thought was a, a nice little uh, little foreshadow for the future, maybe. Or not. It's a it's a good thing you weren't in that room with the Giorgio Piola cutaway of the Brabham that has a typo in the uh, caption. I was not aware of that. But it clearly causes you great distress. I can't go in that room. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a little, it's like a little Easter egg we've got to find in the office if we're ever eventually back in. But anyway, guys, we should we should, end thing, we should end things there. I've kept you far longer than I thought I would. It's been absolutely fantastic this podcast uh, recording. So thank you very much for coming uh, along and joining me on that. And also, I just wanted to say thank you very much to all four of you for all your support this year. I don't think uh, I don't think I could have done much without it, quite frankly. And it has been very much appreciated. So. Thank you again. And thanks to everybody, of course, listening along. We hope you enjoyed listening to the Autosport podcast in 2020 and wish you a very happy Christmas and most importantly, a really healthy new year. Uh, Just before we go, of course, we'd like to remind you that the latest issue of Autosport magazine comes out on Thursday and will be available on the supermarket shelves and in newsagents as well as on the doormats of subscribers. There'll be a new issue of the magazine for you to pick up every Thursday, packed full of news, analysis and the usual stunning photography. And of course, if you want unlimited access to Autosport from the comfort of your home, visit autosport.com slash plus to find out how to subscribe to our digital package. We'll be back soon with another episode of the Autosport podcast. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Sports Social Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.